Hi everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and this week we're going to be discussing Red Black in Crimson Vow. The notes for this archetype are available, as always, on patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes for any limited guru or above level patrons who wish to follow along. Jumping right into things, it's important to note that Red Black currently has the highest win rate of any archetype in Crimson Vow Draft, and notably, Every red archetype outperforms every non-red archetype. So red is very clearly the place to be in this format, which means that as far as how do you get into red-black, the answer is somewhere between, well, maybe you should default there because it's the strongest archetype and has a lot of good cards. More realistically, the answer is probably just you take early removal spells. Notably, there there are very few commons that actually have positive improvement when drawn um, stats in red-black. Only Bleed Dry, Abrade, Flame Blast Bolt, and Falcon Wrath Celebrants have that honor. If we ignore Unhallowed Phalanx, which is a weird outlier where you just lose all the time if you put it in your deck and don't draw it. it it's just... A bad card with really low sample size. I wouldn't pay a lot of attention to the fact that it technically has a positive improvement when drawn. It is unusual that only these four cards have a positive improvement when drawn. By comparison, there are 14 commons in blue-white that have a positive improvement when drawn. I honestly don't think about improvement when drawn enough to have a clear picture of what, if anything, that means. I wouldn't worry about it a lot. But I would note that the removal spells are a lot better than the the other commons. Most of the commons are pretty interchangeable, and the removal spells are just a notable cut above. Falconrath celebrants are like exceptional, noteworthy, uh, also underrated. But uh, the removal spells are really what you're looking for, and you should basically always take a removal spell over. Specifically, one of the three good ones. Flame Blast Bolt, Abrade, and Bleed Dry over a common creature. In almost all spots, that's going to be right. Some other notable information uh, from stats. Blood Petal Celebrant and Ragged Recluse are two commons that are highly played and win a small amount relative to how much they are played. That said, they're also the best common two drops, so they should be heavily played. You, I don't think the solution is to not play them, but it is to note that like they're not where your wins are coming from. I, I do think that you want to use them and everything, but the better versions of red-black likely cheat on the early creatures by playing more early removal, which limits their ability to be aggressive, but I think that that's okay and in line with what you should be trying to do. Specifically, I think that you want to draft red-black as a mid-range deck, not an aggressive deck, and I think that that's really the most important thing to understand about red-black. The fact that you get blood incidentally from most things that you do and you have good removal allows you to play an interactive game and not flood out while your opponent does flood out so you end up 
existing in this semi-controlling space. You're not exactly a control deck because your creatures are generally aggressively statted. Pressuring your opponent does matter. It's best if you can apply some pressure while killing their blockers. And there are definitely people who are going over the top of you. So it's you're not control in the sense that you have like hard inevitability, but you are a small game deck that is looking to trade resources such that the fact that you have essentially drawn two or three fewer lands than your opponent because you've used blood to get rid of them, the more you trade off resources, the more that two or three carded, uh, like virtual card advantage will contribute to you winning the game. So you're like definitely in this attrition space. Also, uh, reckless impulse and pointed discussion are notable, just like direct card advantage cards that you can and want to play. Pointed discussion notably is actually uh, one of the best performing commons. It's it's nowhere near the level of uh, like bleed dry braid and flame blast bolt, but to be precise about it, the only cards other than those uh, at, that perform better in red black are Falcon Wrath Celebrants, Wedding Invitation, which I'll talk more about later, Blood Craze Socialite, Diagraph Scavenger, Baldarin Epicure. Um, pointed discussion is the next best performing common. This is noteworthy because we've come off of the last several cards that look like this. Three mana sign in blood variants have generally been very bad. You haven't wanted to play them. But uh, pointed discussion is actually really good in red black in this format. And the reason is that your removal's cheap and you have some incidental life gain available because of Wedding Invitation and Gluttonous Guest and Diagraph Scavenger, which is a weirdly large amount of uh, life gain for red-black. Also, just like the things that pressure you in this format really aren't great at pressuring you very hard or very fast. Uh, I have talked about how you want to be aggressive in this format, but my aggressive decks have often been aggressive by like attacking with one ones, which just doesn't end a game that fast. And so you can afford to pay the life for pointed discussion most of the time. And also draw two cards and make a blood is very meaningfully different than just draw two cards. It's very, very likely that because of the fact that you already had three mana and you're like drawing two cards, that you're going to have enough lands that you can discard one and it's not really gonna set you back. And so when you end up spending that blood, it's very much like you drew a third card. Point of discussion has been compared pretty accurately to Sift, which is just an appreciably stronger uh, card advantage spell than like Divination or Sign in Blood. Point of discussion, and then obviously also just everything about how red-black wants to be positioned being, you know, a small game attrition deck uh, is exactly the kind of deck that wants a sign and blood divination type card. So point of discussion is like appropriate power level and appropriate appropriate positioning for the deck. It's a card you want to play. Reckless impulse, similar situation, a little bit more likely, a little bit more awkward just in general. They're, they're both awkward in different ways. Uh, they're both desirable. Pointed discussion has performed better. But these are two ways that you can get card advantage in your like red-black attrition deck. Obviously, you want card advantage in an attrition deck. 
I should talk about the third option for raw card advantage in an attrition deck, which is Blood Fountain, which is notable because it is a trap. The stats on Blood Fountain are really bad, and I think the reason for that is that there are a lot of archetypes that really aren't about killing your creatures. I think all of like blue, white, and green are doing things that are just not that likely to be putting your creatures in the graveyard in a meaningful time or way uh, most of the time. There's also exile removal in the form of bleed dry and also like Sigarda's white removal spell, um, the pacifism that exiles. There's also uh, stuff like Diagraph Scavenger in black that makes it less likely the graveyard recursion is going to be good. Also Flame Blast Bolt in red. Some matchups, your things won't die, and some matchups, they will die and they'll get exiled. When you're just like getting attacked by flyers or getting attacked by big green creatures, uh, particularly out of like blue-green, where it's hard for you to do better than just like chump and get a guy back or something. Even when you can get a guy back, it's a very late game play. And because when you're playing red black, you don't want to make you don't want to put very many of your lands into play because you want to discard them to blood. It's very unlikely that you'll have enough mana to activate the blood fountain and replay the creature in the same turn. So you have to like wait to have things in your graveyard that matter and then spend a turn to get them back and then play them again. And it's just very, very slow. There are matchups where it's a really strong effect. I I've had Blood Fountain that was very good for me. I've played against it when it was very good against me. But I think that it's matchup dependent in a way that's very risky. It feels a little bit like you should be able to work around that by putting your own creatures in the graveyard using exploit or discarding them with blood but in practice the creatures that you are uh, exploiting and discarding aren't good enough to matter to return and you don't really want to discard creatures with blood very often so just a lot of hoops you have to uh, jump through for a pretty expensive source of card advantage when you have better options in the form of reckless impulse and pointed discussion i do think that there's a chance that there are exceptions where you do want to play Blood Fountain, specifically when you have some very, very good bombs that you want to like protect slash return. But for the most part, this is a card that you should be avoiding. Other end of the spectrum, let's talk about Wedding Invitation. Wedding Invitation is the most underplayed card by a lot in terms of its win rate relative to how much it's played. Uh, it's fifth best performing common in red-black. It's also... Interestingly, at the moment, the common with the highest game played win percentage. So not looking at when you draw it, just decks that include it win the most, which I think is saying that people who are in the know are playing it and people who are not are not playing it. That's the thing that would most explain this wins a lot when it's played, but not not as much it's not as exceptional when it's drawn so it's going in the decks of players who win a lot also notably you're more likely to want to play it if you have like really good bombs to draw because it cycles and it buys you life so it uh, helps both extend the game and just dig for really good bombs so some amount of covariance in terms of being played more often when you have really good cards could also explain it having an unusually high uh, game played win rate, but 
Regardless, it is a card that performs uh, far better than you would probably expect. I know I've had viewers suggest cutting it from my decks. It does good work. It's comparable to uh, something like Revitalize, um, which obviously doesn't always perform that well, but I've definitely played a number of games where the unblockable part of it has meant that it's actually just doing a bunch of damage to me that I wouldn't take otherwise. And obviously a Revitalize that uh, hits your opponent for like three or four is uh, quite a bit better than a Revitalize that just gains you three or four life. Um, so when this is two mana cantrip, your opponent takes three or four damage, you gain three or four life. That is very obviously a very good card. It's, it's also helped by the fact that while you might not get that life swing right away, you do get the card draw right away. Like you can just play it on turn two, draw a card, and now you're like, you have that life swing banked um, to use later. That is a card that underrated. You might want to consider where Ragged Recluse and Blood Petal Celebrant underperform a little bit, then you might want to, you know, pri think about playing Wedding Invitation as the thing that you're going to do on turn two instead of playing one of those creatures on turn two, where those might easily get blanked. Wedding Invitation, you might fall behind a little bit, but the fact that it gives you that life swing can let you uh, make up a bit of the like damage your opponent might have gotten in because you didn't play a two drop, and then you can you know play a more expensive, higher impact creature later, which will obviously play well with your small game attrition plan. Anytime you're playing that sort of game, you want each of your cards to be individually high impact, which could explain why lower impact cards like Ragged Recluse and Blood Petal Celebrant don't play as well. If you're trying to trade off such that you know you end up with your few cards left against your opponent's few cards they have left, if at the end of the day you have a 2-1, you're giving your opponent a lot of time to draw something that blanks that. Whereas if you have a 3-3 Menace, uh, it's more much more likely that that 3-3 Menace will end up ending the game or outclassing the cards that your opponent draws before, like while you're trying to end the game. Anytime you're very much in the small game space, it makes sense that individually low impact cards are going to perform worse. None of that explains why Voldaren Epicure performs well, unless you think of Voldaren Epicure as a cantrip, um, where it doesn't put you down a card. It's just an extra resource, uh, this 1-1, one, one. which that's halfway true. And I think you want to uh, pay attention to how true it is. And I think the biggest factor in whether or not that's true is literally how many lands you want to play in a game. And I think that this is something that you want to put a lot of thought into in all of your red-black decks. The more blood you generate the easier it is for you to choose how many lands you play. So if you don't make very much blood, you might have to play land six because eventually you'll draw more lands than you can discard to the amount of blood that you make. If you make a lot of blood, you might be able to say, I'm never going to play land six. I'm always going to have blood around. I'll always discard the extra lands. If I don't have a blood, I'll just wait until I draw a card that makes blood and then I'll discard them. When you do have enough blood that you can say, all right, I'm never going to play my sixth land, you obviously want to think really hard about whether or not you want to put a card that costs six mana in your deck because 
there's kind of a built-in two-for-one here where you're two-for-one yourself because you have to play this land that you didn't that you didn't intend to have. And so you're down this land that you could have converted into another resource. So if you're thinking about, should I put this Grizzly Spectacle in my deck? I think that's the name of the six-man removal spell that makes two blood. Whatever that card is. Ritual? Anyway, <laughs> six-mana card that makes two blood kills a thing. Do I want to play this? If you're already making a lot of blood, the additional blood tokens, there's diminishing returns on extra blood tokens. At a certain point, you can already discard all the cards you don't want, and it's eating up a lot of mana and stuff like that. So if you already make a lot of blood, you don't want Grizzly Ritual because the blood's not very valuable, and you'll have to play more lands than you, you... You'll have to put the sixth land into play instead of discarding it. On the other hand, if you are very low on things that make blood, such that you will have to play your sixth land, then the two blood that it makes is very valuable, and then you would want to play it. Which means you generally don't want to play it in red-black decks. You want to play it in, like green black or white black decks that don't make blood elsewhere and will have to play the sixth land so the more extreme versions of this you can think about like okay is it really worth playing falcon wrath celebrants if i only have one and it's my only five mana card if your answer is no remember that baked into that answer is the implication that you're going to try to play a game with only four lands in play even if your curve stops at four, that's going to mean that it's going to be very, very hard for you to play two spells in a turn and very hard for you to have mana available to use your blood. Which is to say, I think it's very hard to choose to stop at four lands and you basically never want to try to choose to stop at three lands. I think you'll generally want to stop at five lands in your blood heavy decks, which means that Falconrath Celebrants is a card that you can afford to play. But there may be exceptional decks where you have a very large number of two drops where you can afford to plan to stop on four. But be sure to think not just about, okay, does my curve end on four? Can I play all my cards? You also want to think about, do I have enough cheap cards that I can play two spells in a turn? Because it's pretty important in a game of magic to double spell sometimes. And also, again, it does cost mana to cycle blood, and if you're like sticking at four lands for the entire game, you are going to be operating on like a shoestring budget on the amount of mana you have available. And you are going to feel that when you try to activate your blood tokens. So I mentioned big picture, red, black is generally going to be mid range. You're going to be playing this attrition game. You're not trying to kill your opponent as fast as possible. There are cards that lead into that lean into more of a hyper aggressive approach. Certainly, some of the uh, uncommons that are really good, like Alluring Suitor, as well as you know cards like Folder and Epicure and Two Ones, and you know you can look at like Belligerent Gast is a very aggressive card. There are ways that you can try to build a very aggressive red black deck. I don't think that you should. I think that you're playing a lot of weaker cards, you're not leaning into the archetype strength. There are other people who are going to do that better. I think if you're looking to be the like hyper-aggressive deck, you would be better off playing red-white, red-green, blue-white. Uh, I, I don't think that that's an archetypal space that you should be trying to operate in if you're red-black. I had been planning to talk about how 
there are maybe multiple different ways that you can build red black and you want to figure out like am i more aggressive or more controlling and the more i think through it and look at the stats and think about which cards are actually good i think you really want to by default be solidly mid-range and maybe if you get you know exceptional rares like the uh, current draft deck that i have has six and seven mana bombs which make me want to be um, a straight controlling uh, more than mid-range red black deck maybe if you have the exact right aggressive cards you might want to like skew more aggressive but i think it's very rare it's very very rare that you want to prioritize like aggressive in the traditional sense that you're trying to make the game about tempo and specifically that you're trying to end the game before your opponent can use the cards in their hand. I think that you want your red-black decks to be positioned in a way where you're expecting to beat the cards that your opponent drew. End the game before they draw every card in their deck. Try to end the game before they've drawn their best cards. But you're not trying to strand cards in their hand by ending the game before they've like hit their sixth land. You want to be realistic about expecting that the game is going to go long enough that your opponent can use the cards that they've drawn and you're going to have to like face those cards and you want to draft cards to allow yourself to face whatever they might have which means of course prioritizing cards that can trade up with expensive cards you know you don't want a red black deck that's going to lose if your opponent cast a flourishing hunter you want to make sure that you have your bleed dries you have your diagraph scorpions you have ways to fight through that kind of card there is kind of a weird thing that's going on with the power level of uncommons and commons. Specifically, all of the good uncommons are better than every common. And then there's just a giant jump after all of the top tier uncommons where there's like a whole large solid tier of commons that is above the next best uncommon. So... I want to talk about this top tier of uncommons. Every single one of these is better than every single common. And any uncommon that's not on this list is worse than pointed discussion. So the list of top tier uncommons in red-black in order of their game and hand win rate on 17 lands. Blood Tithe Harvester, Parasitic Grasp, Alluring Suitor, Rending Flame, Vampire's Vengeance, Voltaic Visionary, Fellstinger, Hero's Downfall. And a lot of those cards are very, very close to each other. Uh, there's basically no difference between Rending Flame and Hero's Downfall and all the cards in the middle there. Uh, it's notable to me just how high Vampire's Vengeance is. I personally would not have guessed that that card is stronger than Bleed Dry, Abraid, and Flame Best Bolt, but it does win a little bit more. Um, only half a percent, under half a percent more, but it does win more than those cards. Actually, barely more. It, it, the same as Bleed Dry, essentially. But those are the uncommons you're looking for. You're taking them over any common. Any other uncommon, you're taking below all of your best commons, pointed discussion and above, which is weird. Usually there's more of a mix of like, okay, the top common is, you know, maybe like the top three uncommons are better Then there's the top common, then some more uncommons, then some more commons. Here it's just like they made it, it's just like, here are the good uncommons. Take those. And then the rest of the uncommons are just like bad uncommons. And I mean, that's not to say none of the other uncommons are playable or anything, just that they're worse than the like notably wide top tier of commons, um, which is to say, putting numbers on it, uh, bleed dry, 58.3% game and hand win rate, pointed discussion, 
percent game in hand win rate and none of the uncommons are in that range that's like a two and a half percent range that's a huge gap in like power level from hero's downfall to the next best uncommon which i don't remember offhand another thing that i did in preparing for this podcast is i took a look at rares a little bit more than i usually do so i want to talk about some rares that are traps i don't think it's super interesting to talk about the really good rares Anya's the best rare in red black it's really 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 good it's better than the demon in red black that doesn't surprise me four mana is a lot less than seven but you know like rares in general don't get passed very much on arena i assume that you're not going to have problems with like not identifying and taking and playing the bombs what i want to speak to is the rares that people are drafting uh too highly dominating vampire is an example of a rare that's a bit of a trap this is the red red one three three that threatens a creature with mana value less than or equal to the number of vampires you control it's not that dominating vampires bad it's that Dominating Vampire is about as good as Belligerent Guest, which is to say it's roughly a filler common. It's not as good as the top tier commons, and it is taken very highly. And when people take it highly, the game played win rate for Dominating Vampire is very noticeably bad because people are spending a really like a premium pick on it, and they're presumably going out of their way to play more cheap vampires to enable it and presumably trying to be a little bit more aggressive. So it kind of like lies to and misleads you. It tells you to like lean into enabling it when you shouldn't. You should just think of it as a mostly vanilla 3-3 drafted appropriately, which is to say on arena, almost never draft it because someone else is going to take it more highly than uh, they should, such that you won't see it if you're valuing it properly. It's playable if you end up with it, but something weird is happening if you're ending up with it. Path of Peril, that's the black, black one kill, the stuff with mana value two or less. And then if you spend white, black four, it's a wrath. Is a card that performs super badly in red, black. This is more like, even if you end up with it, you still shouldn't put it in your deck. Other traps, Investigator's Journal, Dying to Serve, and Curse of Hospitality. Those are all cards you don't want to play. Graph Reaver is another card you don't want to play. The one of those that was surprising to me a little bit is Investigator's Journal. Feels to me like it should be okay for the same reasons pointed discussion is good. I guess it's like meaningfully slower and more expensive. I'm still like, so it has a 53.3% win rate, which is to say it's like two and a half percent worse than pointed discussion i would have expected a little bit better than that but it isn't some of that might be it being taken much more highly i'm likely to still give it a chance a couple of times but you would certainly be better off avoiding it or erring toward not playing it anytime you're not totally sure theoretically like it there's this interesting dynamic here where Theoretically, it's good in an attrition deck because you want card draw to pair with your attrition, but it does, the amount of card card advantage that it offers is tied to having the most creatures in play. And I've been very clear about red, black is prioritizing removal, playing a small game. It's not going to get very many counters. So it's not actually providing that much card advantage most of the time, which is another problem for the card in the archetype. Definitely exercise caution on uh, investigator's journal and avoid dying to serve curse of hospitality and graph reaver even if it looks like your deck is relatively good for them those are cards that perform very very badly that wraps up my notes and planned discussion 
So I'm going to turn it over to Twitch chat for any questions they have, um, anything that I feel like I haven't covered. While I'm waiting for those, I do want to thank my new patrons, Jurgen, Kwan, and Nicholas. Thank you very much for the support. If anyone else is interested in supporting the podcast, obviously, uh, please check out patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes to uh, see what we offer and evaluate whether you want to be a part of that. So as for questions, again, anything that, you know, feel free to ask whatever's on your mind. And if you've already asked it and I haven't addressed it, please ask it again. This first question is a very broad question about power level of cards and limited and benchmarks on creature sizing specifically. Like there's kind of this weird theoretical baseline that exists where there are two twos for two, three threes for three, four fours for four, five fives for five. When it and so the question is like when are those exceptional? Like it for a long time in Magic's history, it was the case that four fours for four were very rare. You would usually get a three three for four, and three threes for three were rare outside of green. And we've come to a place in Magic where it's a little bit more common to see four fours for four, usually in green. Usually if you're not green, it's gonna be like a four three or a three four. But, and the same with three threes, usually you're not actually getting a three three outside of green um, for three. Uh, usually it's gonna be a three two or a two three with a good ability. But I do think that we're at the point in terms of like power creep or whatever, where like a vanilla three three for three, four four for four, any, any vanilla just like stats equal to cost card is, you know, at three three or four four, potentially playable but uh, definitely not exciting, which if you, you know, maybe played a long time ago, took a significant break, I could understand being excited about a 4-4-4-4, four, 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 but that's that's just not what uh, where the level of cards is at right now, which this was mentioned in the context of Dominating Vampire, and is to say Dominating Vampire especially costing red, red one, a little bit hard to cast, given that the ability is unlikely to be very strong, not a great card because again, three, three for three is just nothing special. Next question is what rares do you find worth splashing in red, black, if any? I noted that there were, when I was looking at the rares, some rares that popped up as having very good win rates in red, black. But I also noticed that those rares that did have a high win rate in red, black, when you looked at the uh, blade win rate, so how successful the decks that splashed them were, their game played win rate was not very exceptional. So it might be fine to splash them, but you're not getting a lot of percent out of doing so. So there's this whole idea that like, oh, well, blood lets you splash more easily because if you can't cast the card, you can discard it. The thing is, you really don't want to discard spells. Like, yes, you can discard spells that you can't cast, but just like that card, if it was something you could cast, is a card you'd hold on to or be discarding lands to find and cast. And there's a significant cost in terms of um, like air in your deck and just running out of total things to do, uh, drawing into lands and not having blood to get rid of them it, when you start planning to use blood to get rid of spells. So I, th I think people are a little bit too into this idea of like, oh, I can discard this spell when it's not good and there's not a high cost to that. I, I think that there is a very high cost to any time you're not 
discarding either a land or a card that's active in the graveyard. Um, there, there is something exceptional about discarding a card with Disturbed or something, but you really don't want to just go like, oh, I'll just discard this splash card. It's no big deal. Also, that's a card that just took a place in your hand that could have been something you could have like curved out with until you have the blood and the mana to get rid of it to draw to something else. So I, I'm not a big fan of blood as fixing. So uh, as far as which rares are worth splashing, the ones that are true bombs are you can justify it, especially if you have a lot of blood, especially if you have some evolving wilds. But if you err toward not splashing, I don't think you're going to go wrong, given how low the improvement in game played win percentage was when you had any out-of-color bomb. It's a roundabout way of saying I'd probably look to splash, like, the um, Helana and Elena, or however they're pronounced, the four-mana red-green rare, but cards other than that I would be pretty skeptical about. Next question, does red-black support multiple drafters at the table? Yeah, I think so. Like, while there are just, like, you know, the three premium removal spells and then, like, the very good uncommons, the colors are pretty deep on things that are okay, and you're generally not expecting to, like... The, the premium cards are so good that it's not like if I'm the only red-black player I'm expecting to see, like, Parasitic Grasps and Rending Flames fourth or fifth pick. So if uh, the person opposite me is uh, also red-black and the other people at the table... Like, if we're the only people in red and the only person in black, like, yes, the actual um, blood tithe harvester that they take and it doesn't get to me, that hurts a little bit, but it doesn't hurt. Like, you know, what really matters is just, like, do I have a couple of people that are going to pass these removal spells to me? So I, I think it's more about I don't want the person immediately feeding me, the person next to them in red or black, then I specifically care if someone else is in red and black. And part of this is because the archetype is low synergy. Because it's doing this attrition thing, it's much more looking at individual card power and much less, do I get all the vampires, for example? So if there's somebody else at the table who's prioritizing vampires and I can't wheel any late vampires, I don't care. I have my premium removal and I have some fine creatures. Whereas if there's another archetype that's like, oh, I want all the werewolves, and I, like every wolf that I see I'm trying to table, there it would hurt me a lot if the person opposite the table for me is red-black. But because I just want good cards and I don't care very much about the synergy, as long as the colors are open near me, I don't really care what's happening on the other side of the table. And I do think that's an interesting kind of meta point that this question brings up that I don't know if people think about or talk about a lot. In general, uh, low synergy archetypes are going to care about, are the neighbors in my colors? High synergy archetypes care about, is somebody else at the table anywhere in exactly my lane? And so red-black is, I want my neighbors to be nowhere near my business. I don't care if someone far away is in exactly my business or not. So good question. Thanks for that one. Okay, the next question, how do we rank the power level of the common removal in red-black? So bleed-dry relative to flame blast bolt relative to a braid. So bleed-dry performs a notable cut above a braid and flame blast bolt, which perform identically to each other. 
the question here is, is Bleed Dry enough better that you take the second copy over the first Abrade or Flame Blast Bolt? And I think the answer is like early in the draft, yes. So obviously if my first pick is Bleed Dry, second pick I could take Bleed Dry or Flame Blast Bolt, well, I should just stay black. Obviously I'm gonna take the, the black spell again. But if you know that you're red black, but it's still like, you know, you don't know exactly your curve, Basically, the only reason I'm not going to keep taking Bleed Dry over a Braid and Flame Blast Bolt is if I have too many fours, which can definitely happen because of Blood Craze, Socialite, and Diagraph Scavenger as uh, the two best black creatures at common. But I do think that the hard removal is really important, and a Braid and Flame Blast Bolt have a similar enough effect, especially when you think about like Parasitic Grasp and Gift of Fangs, potentially occupying similar space that I'm going to want uh, the bleed dry, especially since, as I mentioned, this deck is playing longer games, planning to like let your opponent play the stuff in their hand. You need to be able to answer their powerful cards, which bleed dry does. A braid and flame blast bolt help you not get run over, help you not need to play these low impact creatures that you don't want to play. They're very, very good, but I think bleed dry is better. As for like, how do you prioritize a braid versus flame blast bolt? I think you just flip a coin if you see them in the both in the pack and you'll be fine. You you take the ones that you see, you play them all. You know, you can think a little bit about like, oh, do I have too many twos or not? Would I rather have a one? But it's it I don't think that there's like a good rule about it. And like I think, oh, I already have one, so I'll take the other one is not that significant because you're just not going to draw both of them all that often. I understand that it would be nice if there's a satisfying answer, but I don't have one. Theoretically, the more aggressive you are, the more you want to braid, the more controlling you are, you want Flame Blast Bolt, I think, a tiny bit. But again, not in a way that's significant enough. And given that Red Black is more mid-range, it's just like, it's really a straight coin flip for me. Next question, can I talk about a bit about Steel Sack in Red Black? Do I think it's viable if you can get good sack outlets such as Felstinger, Anya, Catapult Fodder, etc.? Or is it too gimmicky um, and standard Red Black could be better? So I did do a deck tech for someone on my stream yesterday who had a Steel Sack theme that had Felstinger, Catapult Fodder, and three of the 2-mana two 2-2 two exploit guys with up to seven of the threatens and i recommended playing three of them and playing the package i don't think that most red blacks decks should do that i don't think you want to prioritize getting enough of the two mana two two to enable it but i do think that you can end up able to use it if you happen to have enough of the cheap outlets, good with card draw to get that stuff together. Better if the rest of your creatures are good at, you know, take advantage of the fact that you have these sack outlets and are good at playing a long game. It helped that, uh, like, the supporting creatures in that deck were Diagraph Scavengers, which lead to a bit of a longer game, which help you assemble those combos. So it's not never do it, but it's also very, very far from where it has been in other sets like Ikoria and Theros and Forgotten Realms. Those were all the, like archetypes where 
a substantial portion, maybe even a majority of my red black decks wanted to prioritize uh, steel sack synergies. This I think is more like, you know, 10% of your red decks might want to play a threaten to try to prioritize sacrificing or something. Next question, I've drafted some red black decks that had really high card quality but felt like they couldn't win. I just created a lot of blood tokens and stayed alive but couldn't win. What are the key cards to ensure that you can close out a game? The, the stats make it very clear that at common, the card you're looking for for that role is Falconrath Celebrants. Um, ideally, you have some rares, but it's basically just like the game ending bomb rares. Alluring Suitor is amazing, but Alluring Suitor is also not like a win the game by itself card if you don't, you know, have like generally an aggressive draw or whatever. As far as the like, I want a high impact finisher, uh, Falconrath Celebrants is like the whole I mean, if you don't have that, you can use Bloodcrazed Socialite in that role, but Falconrath Celebrant is your go-to. Here's a high-impact card that's like difficult for my opponent to block and will let me actually kill them. Next question is, about the lanes, can you tell the difference from signal reading within a draft? Like uh, late red-black cards versus late red-plus-black cards. So this is about the, is someone in, like, is there a player who's in black and a player who's in red, or is there a player who's in red-black? So the answer to can you tell the difference in a draft is going to be with red-black, you probably can't, specifically because, as I said, it's low synergy, it doesn't really care. The, you know, the red-black, the good red and black cards are going to be taken by players who are in some combination of that color, those colors, or they're not. There are certainly other formats that are higher synergy where it's much easier, or I mean, not even necessarily other formats, even just other color combinations where it's much easier to see, oh, is this signpost or this card that's only good in like this one narrow archetype, are those coming versus like, am I just seeing, you know, some like, the, the times that you can tell are when there's some narrow set of cards that uh, someone wants that you can see late. And that's not what's happening with red black cards in this set. So it's very, it, you're not really gonna get anything that's gonna tell you during a draft in this format, but you're not getting it. Like there's a convenient correlation between whether you get that information and whether you care about that information. And you don't get or care about that information in this format, in this color combination, so it's fine. Next question, is it now canon that the banner for drafting archetypes is a black S for Sam Black? Yes. <laughs> is there a ratio that I try to follow between creatures and non-creature spells? There certainly are uh, things that I look for for different archetypes. When I talked about blue-green, I mentioned that in blue-green, I want to try to have a very high uh, creature count, like 18 or more, preferably more. Uh, in red-black, I would say I would probably be happiest if I could get something like 13 creatures, 10 removal, uh, but I don't expect to see 10 removal spells in this format. I would start to get uncomfortable in red-black most of the time if I had more than 17 or 18 creatures. I would feel like this deck is probably going to want removal of these creatures, um, aren't going to be able to like brawl against the best creatures my opponents are going to have. I'm probably going to have some low impact creatures that are just like 
going to not function if I don't have removal spells to clear blockers and stuff like that. So I, I would say a normal number of creatures that a red-black deck is going to want in this format is probably in the 15 plus or minus 2 kind of range. If I'm a very aggressive deck, I'm generally going to worry if I only have like 13 creatures, but because this deck wants to be more of an attrition deck and looking to just kill all your opponent's stuff such that you can win with whatever, I think that, um, and because the blood gives you so much insurance to flooding out, where the big danger is if you don't have creatures, you can't close a game and so you'll lose if you flood out. You don't have to worry about that very much with red black. Therefore, you can afford to get away with lower creature count. So as long as your non-creature spells are like good high-impact cards that don't require a creature, so like not Undying Malice, for example, which might be a playable card, but is only good if I'm routinely getting into spots where I have a creature to set it up, that's going to be bad if you're a 13-creature deck. But if all of my non-creature spells are pointed discussions, reckless impulses, maybe even wedding invitation and removal then I'd be pretty happy to play, you know, more like uh, 13, maybe even 12 removal, 12 creatures if I have a good amount of uh, like card draw and removal. This is a good question. Uh, this is about the life gain synergy cards in red black. I think the big question for me on using red, using life gain cards in red black is should you play the bat that uh, gets a creature back if you've gained life? What do you need to enable it? Because there, you know, you can enable this stuff pretty easily with Wedding Invitation and Gluttonous Guest, but it's hard to have a really high density or to have them like as easy to use as something like Traveling Minister. And I think for the most part, Bat doesn't perform well overall. I think for the most part, you don't want to go out of your way to try to do that. But I think if you have uh, five or six total. Wedding invitations and gluttonous guests, then it's like okay to have some stuff that cares about gaining life. Next question How often, if ever, are you prioritizing catapults and uh, high toughness creatures in red black? It's tough to do because I think the only common red is giving you is the prisoner, which is fine to have to play. And then you're looking largely for gluttonous guests and diagraph scavengers in black to enable it. I think it's not hard to get to like five or six creatures that have more toughness than power, but it's hard to get much above that, and it's not easy to flip the catapult with that. I don't think that I want to like put 113s in my deck because I have a catapult, but if I have two or three catapults somehow, I guess you could consider it. I think, you know, like a 1-5 for three isn't good, for what this deck is trying to do, but it's not the worst. I don't think you want to play it unless you have an above average number of things that let you flip it. And I, I'm not, I really don't want to have to like go far out of my way to do it. But I do think both Diagraph Scavenger and Gluttonous Ghast can be pretty good in the deck. Oh, I guess Alluring Suitor on the front side also helps. You can play it if you have like six creatures that work. It usually won't flip, but it's fine. I guess is roughly my answer. Next question is about drafting Grixis as a like three color deck that's fully control uh, with removal and counters. You could also potentially do threaten and exploit in that space. It is 
conceivable to me to do it. I do think the fixing in this format's pretty bad, and I think that what blue offers, you don't really need blue to accomplish because of pointed discussion and reckless impulse as a replacement for the card draw that blue's offering, and I don't think like having counter spells is particularly essential. I do think that there are enough synergies that are enabled by playing the three colors together that it's still kind of like on my bucket list as like a thing to try in this format. I think there could be something there, but I think that if a two color version of that deck is open, it is most often going to be better to play two color than to play all three. Obviously, if you're getting, you know, premium gold cards in all the colors or something, that would be a reason to do it. But uh, most often, I think that, like, you're going to have to do things you really don't want to do to make the mana work, like either taking Evolving Wilds uh, over good cards or playing heirlooms that, you know, make your deck worse. Um, uh, There's just not a way to make the mana work that I'm very happy with. I guess if you got a couple of uh, foreboding statues, that that could help considerably. But again, this is something that I I do think there can be something there, but I think most often of the time it's like not something you should be looking to do. All right. Uh, Thank you very much for tuning in, whether that's live or after the fact on a podcast uh, app or YouTube. Appreciate all my listeners. I'll be back next week. This week, the poll included the all the archetypes viewers could ask, or listeners could ask me to discuss, as well as an option for me to choose. The option for me to choose one in a landslide. So I chose red black because it was the non-blue deck that I have earned some trophies with. So I felt uh, like I had the best handle on it. Next week, we'll see if uh, the um, listeners want me to pick again or if I receive some direction. Thanks again, and bye for this week. (laughs) 